Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I'm Gareth, creator of Skewed and Reviewed. You can catch us online at sknr.net, where we have all things movies, games, television, pop culture, travel, entertainment, and more. You can also catch us on BJ Shea's Geek Nation on ksw.com. We have the simulcast on the page. And then, of course, there's PanalCentral.com, which is 12 newspapers and 21 markets, keyword skewed, where you can see our video game reviews. And last but not least, aside from syndication, we have our quarterly magazine, which is available at Barnes & Noble and other outlets, Magster, MagCloud, Flipster. Our recent issue has Aliens Fire Team on the cover, and the next issue will be out in later June, so we can have the E3 wrap-up. Michael is away running errands today, and so it is Justin and Joseph joining me. And we have got some really interesting movie and television and entertainment stuff. But before we get to that, I just had a little bit of uh, video game stuff I wanted to talk about. And all of these, of course, are available on the PS4. Some of them are on, available on other systems. But for the sake of uh, our comments, I played them on the PS5. So... First off, we have Star Wars Republic Commando. This is the very popular uh, game that came out several years ago. Is getting new life, much as Aspire did with Stubbs the Zombie. They have brought Republic Commando to the PS4 and the Xbox console. I'm playing it on the PS5, and it's a lot of fun. It's uh, really nice to get a dose of nostalgic Star Wars content and play it on the new system. So a lot of fun, really immersive. And the nice thing about it is when I originally played it on the PC years ago, there were some various bugs and issues, and I'm not getting any of that on the PS5. It's rolling along nicely. Now, if you like retro games, similar to the way things used to be in the day of the coin-op arcade with games like Akari Warriors, Commando, uh, even going a little further to like Robotron, Smash TV, there is a game called Stormfront The Mutant War. And basically what this is is a top-down uh, shooter where you go through and you power up your weapons and you take on all sorts of waves of enemies. The biggest trick about it is I was so used to pushing the control stick in the direction I wanted to fire, and that's not how this works. You move with the control stick, but you use the triangle, square, circle, and X button to indicate the direction of your fire. So if you want to, you know, fire upwards, you hit the triangle, so on and so forth. But once I got that down, that was a lot of fun. We do have a bit of video on the site for those that want to play it and uh, see it. It is really great fun. Another game that just came out, and this one I think is going to be a real cult classic, is called Breathage. And you play an um, astronaut that's on a ship. It's essentially a mortuary ship. And a disaster happens in space, and you have yourself confined to a pod that has some breathable atmosphere left, and you need to put on your spacesuit and venture out to various points in the wreckage to recover salvage, fix various things, and bring it back to your pod before time runs out in order to craft new materials to extend the storyline and to get to... Uh, the bigger mystery about how you got there. And it's told through a flashback point of view, and it was really interesting because it's got a quirky sense of humor, like fixing an oxygen leak with a piece of chewing gum, things of that nature. But I really enjoyed that. The biggest challenge was trying to gather up the idea of which way do I go, 
Uh, how far out should I really push it before I'm going to run out of oxygen? Which items do I need to grab? Which do I not? But, hey, the proof is in the play. For those that like some uncensored mayhem, Postal Redux is out on the PlayStation 4. And so if you want to do the blood and guts, no holes barred, unapologetic uh, action of the game from running with scissors, it's there. It was different getting used to aiming with a uh, control pad versus a mouse and keyboard from the top-down perspective. The future Postal games were in a... Um, first-person and third-person perspective. This is a straight top-down one, so you have the full 360 field of shooting, but you will quickly get it. The final thing I wanted to mention, and this one took me for ages to be able to uh, do the review for because I had to wait for my PlayStation VR adapter, is Swords of Gargantua, and this is a PlayStation VR game. It is playable on the play PS4 and the PS5 if you have your adapter and everything in place. And essentially, put on your shield, grab a big po uh, sword, hack into the bad guys, and take them down. So if you like a lot of action, if you like some medieval gameplay, this is the one for you. All right, guys, so we had a lot of news this week coming from Amazon. Some of it good, some of it bad. The... Uh, good part was that Amazon spent $11 billion on content for Amazon Prime, including music, uh, movie and TV rights, and the cost of producing new television and movies exclusive to the content uh, channel. Uh, this compares with $11.8 billion for Netflix, which was down from $13.9 million their previous year. But we also got news that Lord of the Rings Season 1 is going to clock in at $465 million for Season 1, making it the most expensive television show currently. And for a comparison, the current season of uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier is $25 million per episode, which is the most expensive in TV history. Prior to that, Game of Thrones was at $15 million an episode for their final season. So sticking just with the TV side and movie side of things, uh, Joseph, open it up for us. What do you make of all this? I think that the world is getting too frivolous. <laughs> I, I get the need for good TV shows, but there's other places to be spending that money. And... I don't know. It just it boggles my mind that we're putting that much money into something when we have other stuff going on in the world. Yeah, I, I think the argument would be where would the world be if people right didn't have some entertainment to watch at home during this mess? True, but does the entertainment need to be that expensive? I mean, yeah. but I no, I get it, I get it, but like. And and I have no doubt that the show is going to look amazing, and I'm probably going to love it. But, like, I, you know, the cost of all of this stuff is all artificial anyways. And it, and it just reminds me of so many things that are, are just, I don't know. I think they could make a good show for less money. But I'm still excited to see what they're going to make with what they did, I guess. It's, it's a weird position to be in these days. I think in many ways the rise of streaming has actually been also their worst enemy because... You know, for example, when Netflix took off, they could essentially go to the studios and play a pay and all, you know, essentially a take it or leave it offer because it was a case of that they already had their money 
allocated uh, from the television syndication deals. And so streaming comes along and it's this whole new platform. And Netflix could essentially say, hey, you know, here's an extra $25 million that you could factor in. Well, it didn't take long before studios started to figure out as streaming took off, you know what, uh, if they don't... Um, if they don't pay our price, they don't have anything. And the streamers started to understand this. That's why they started dumping tons of money into creating their own content so they could control it. The problem is, what happened in the last two years? We saw a rise of streamers enter the marketplace. And every last one of them, you know, you get Peacock coming in and saying, well, we're going to be able to grab up all the uh, universal products unless you pay through the nose to get them. You have HBO Max coming in who are essentially saying we can gather up all the Warner Brother product. You have, you know, CBS All Access. There's the Paramount Viacom. Disney, well, you know what they're grabbing up. It's Disney Fox, and that's also on Hulu. So now you're sitting here at Netflix and Amazon essentially going, we better create our own content or we're going to be paying exorbitant rates to try to get things away from uh our competition so how do we do it well let's give them something that no one else has but you know by by uh, comparison too they reportedly inv have spent over a billion dollars on i forget the name of it but there's the chinese science fiction series and apparently it was reported amazon ponied up close to a billion dollars just to get the rights to that and get everything in pre-production so you know there's a huge investment uh, we'll come back to that, uh, Justin. Let's get your take on all this, please. Yeah, I, I'm. I have somewhat of a similar um, opinion as uh, as Joseph in that I don't. I don't necessarily think that a lot of money makes for a good show. Um, I mean, it can. It definitely can uh, contribute to the quality of a show, but it also doesn't. It's not a, a you know an exclusive factor. So um, you know, you had mentioned. Uh, Top of the Winter Soldier uh, being the most expensive TV show. If you had not said that, I definitely would not have um, would have expected that. Um, oh, it floored me when I read it. Yeah, I mean, it just uh, it's a you know it's a pretty decent show. I mean, I have I have a couple issues with it, but uh, it definitely does not sh show. It does not seem like a very expensive show, um, at least in comparison to something like The Mandalorian. You know, that, that's another great example. I think The Mandalorian. Uh, looks fantastic. Um, probably one of the best um, TV shows out there in terms of visuals and visual style. I mean, it, it, and even, um, you know, I was in a conversation with, with some friends over the weekend. Uh, we were just, you know, reminiscing about uh, some older shows. And, you know, even to this day, <laughs> Battlestar Galactica, and I, again, I have some major issues with that show as well. Uh, you know, in the latter half of the, the latter half of the show, I think, you know, drastically dropped in quality but um from a visual you're standpoint, referring to the reboot right not yeah, the original? yeah yeah correct okay. i was correct. gonna say <laughs> correct the uh the uh the one that started in 2004 but okay. visually that show holds up extremely well um you know and that that show is like 20 years old at this point um you know i think there's a lot of factors that go into the quality uh special visual visual quality of a tv show and a lot of it goes comes down to like uh, you know, the people who are working behind the scenes, um, 
you know what they can do with with the tools that they have available to them a lot of money doesn't necessarily make uh you know th this good or bad you have to have you know people who have good vision good cinematographers you have to have people that know how to utilize the tools that are available to them to you know actually execute a great show and the thing that sort of makes me a little bit skeptical about the the amazon show um for lord of the rings in particular is they're uh, the the period of Lord of the Rings that they're going to be making a show out of is very like very high concept stuff. Uh, you know, this is they're they're just to go into a little bit. I, I believe it's like takes place in the Second Age, and there isn't all really a ton of you know accessible material for for that time period. Um, I'm pr fairly skeptical that they're going to be able to execute this extremely well, um, but. You know, I, I, I'm like this often with things where uh, I'm, I'm fairly skeptical going into it, but I'm often, you know, proven wrong. Yeah, case in point, I, I thought Guardians of the Galaxy was just an insane idea that would not work, um, but obviously it did. But, um, you know, I, I just think they're, they're, at, they're in an uphill battle with this show, I think, because I think people are going to be expecting it to look like the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, and there's there's two aspects of it that are working against them. One, uh, even with that amount of money, uh, the Lord of the Rings movies took... You're talking about a, a two- to three-hour project for one movie that took several years to make. Um, you know, uh, the amount of money going into just two hours, uh, it still probably doesn't match the amount of money that... Uh, you know, per episode that they're going to be dumping in, into the show. And then the other thing is that the the era of Lord of the Rings that they're they're working with is just it's just a very strange kind of it's it takes place a long time before uh the movies that we're used to. So it's just gonna be a very strange kind of project, I think. And you know, I'm curious to see what they do. Uh I'm just going into it a little bit skeptical and I just I just don't think that the amount of money is really indicative of whether it's going to be good or bad. Yeah, it, it, it's a crazy thing. It's just, you, you know, you sit there, and I know that the whole focus right now is on eyes on screens. And, you know, it's not the way it used to be where they have to watch it live. It's all about the replayability and how many are watching it on the go and how many are downloading it to their devices. And, you know, it's a combination of eyes on screens. And it's now the big races for content. And you mentioned Battlestar Galactica, which is funny because Peacock's already full ahead trying to put a new one together that is in pre-production. I'm curious if by the time we get to Comic-Con Online, if we're actually going to see uh, some kind of drop on it. I mean, you know, it's, it's just crazy at the speed everything's moving now because there's a audience that is extremely hungry. I mean, we talked about Marvel and in the past about hey, you still have to get Black Widows out and Eternals done and uh, Shang-Chi is done and Spider-Man is done or just about done and those are all due this year and meanwhile, you sit here and you read that Doctor Strange 2 is wrapping up this week and Thor, God of Thunder is almost done and they're already getting um, you know, the next set of films boom, boom, boom rolling and it's like, well, okay you know, when the theaters are able to accommodate this these things are going to be coming out hot and heavy on top of each other. And 
there you have it. Now, this does lead me to the next topic I wanted to uh, bring up, Justin, and that was the news that the original writers of Predator have filed a lawsuit against Disney to try to reclaim the rights. Their simplification of the lawsuit is that they are saying that the 35th anniversary is coming up, and under uh, certain terms, they're, really, they're allowed to reclaim ownership of their property. They claim that they um, set this intention into motion years ago. No one challenged it, so therefore uh, it's theirs. And Disney's essentially saying, well, yeah, you set it in motion when we didn't own the studio. We own the studio now. We intend to keep it. And my first thought was, well, Disney's just going to, if it doesn't look like it's going their way, they can just open the checkbook and say, how much is it going to take and how much of all future Predator stuff do you need to make this go away? But then I saw that the Predator writers have hired the same attorney that is involved in the uh, Friday the 13th lawsuit. And for those that aren't familiar with that, there is a similar fight going on between the writer of the original Friday the 13th and the uh, producers over who owns it. This has gone on for a couple of years. It has essentially uh, put the kibosh on a new film in the series. It's uh, become so contentious that people who make video games have said, we're not putting out any new content for it. We're not making any new games. We're staying away from this thing until it's resolved. This has gone on several years. And then adding to the complication, Disney apparently has a new Predator film in advance pre-production that's ready to get shooting soon. And apparently part of the terms of this lawsuit is they're trying to invalidate that script. Uh, Justin, take start us off. What do you think? Uh, yeah, what a mess. Um, I'm... I don't really know what to make of it. I was reading about this a little while ago and um yeah, I don't I don't there's a lot of question mark type stuff that uh I just don't under, obviously don't understand enough about um the, you know that area of the law. Um so I don't know if like they really have standing as just the writers for Predator to, that they own it. Um you know, it's not it's not like it would be more straightforward if it was something between two studios. So if, if Fox was not owned by Disney and Fox was suing Disney for rights to Predator, that seems more straightforward to me because um, the rights belonged to Fox originally. Um, but as the original, the writers of the original Predator script, I'm not quite sure where in the law that like that follows where we're in like, do they own the rights to the franchise because they didn't write all the scripts for all of the predator movies, obviously. Um, so I'm not exactly sure where they have standing. Um, but it is, it is curious because obviously they wrote the original predator script. They were, uh, it originated in their minds. Um, so I'm kind of curious to see how this goes, but the other problem though, is that it, you know, you have to also ask to, to what end, uh, do they, do they intend to get the rights back and then form a new studio to make Predator movies? Um, you know, to me, it, it would probably be more productive for them if they want to make more Predator movies is, is pitch their ideas to Disney. 
who now own the own the rights because the other pr- problem with this you know no matter what you feel about disney as as a very large corporation uh they have a lot of clout in the industry and if if these two writers get the rights back um they can they can make it difficult for them to make a movie uh you know if disney feels fairly strongly about uh about this topic and you know the fact that they are spending money to make a predator movie um seems to indicate that they have some care f- for the franchise uh i just don't really see this even if they win this lawsuit i'm not really sure this is really going to be much of a victory for them because i i imagine disney will make it difficult in other ways for them to to actually make a movie um but also like you said you know disney could just basically open up their pocketbooks and say like look like how much how much do you want or um you know maybe if if their end goal is they want to make a Predator movie, then why don't they just work with Disney on making a Predator movie? I don't really know. There's probably a lot of things going on behind the scenes that we're we're not privy to, uh, but I'm kind of curious to see how this goes, just because I don't really understand enough about the law to um, to to know you know who who actually has the better case in this particular instance. I will get your take in a moment. Joseph, because uh, there's a lot of stuff there. It is my understanding that basically copyright can vary based on product, but essentially after a certain amount of time, there are ways that people can attempt to reclaim their copyright. And then, of course, uh, you know, others can challenge it. And that is apparently what this has gone on and you know if you think back to the Terminator films um, James Cameron lost the rights to Terminator and as such he was not involved with the production of subsequent sequels he made an effort to try to buy them back he was not able to get them he stayed away from it now after a certain amount of time the rights reverted back to him and this is this is always a very goofed up situation because you hear of certain rights will stay at a studio or organization forever but then you hear other ones be like this become challenged and if you look at the larger picture this is very interesting in the fact that marvel had announced uh predator comic series as well as an alien comic series. The Alien comic series has already had its first issue. And there was news a couple weeks back that the Predator comic was going to be delayed. You have a Predator video game out right now. I will be curious if going forward, how much DLC is going to continue to be cranked out for this thing. Are we going to see any of these Predator novels that come out there or is the whole franchise going to go on hold and I think that's going to be a big key because you are absolutely right Disney has the wherewithal this is you know people say we'll compare it to the Friday the 13th one you have a producer with financial resources going up against a writer a writers excuse me or and Friday the 13th writer with financial resources that being said there's also a studio that tends to back the producer and the right holders when you're looking at the situation with Disney here, you've got a multi-billion dollar corporation 
with a massive legal team, including an, a big legal hotshot who's heading this situation. Limitless pockets, within reason, going up against these two guys. And I see it as a scenario where Disney could essentially almost pull the Spider-Man mentality on him and say, you want to be difficult, we can back this thing up in court for 10 years. Or you can take this check and move forward. Now, the flip side is, the writers can also play that as well, saying, we know you've got toys, we know you've got comic books, we know you've got books, video games, and you've got movies and possibly TV shows you want to do. We could back this thing up for 10 years. But, again, it would be, what's the end game? Because ultimately, if they take that strategy, it's simply a matter of coming to a price. Thank you for being patient, Joseph. What, what's your take on all of this? Um, I can't really add much more than what you guys have already said. Again, like this has never really been my universe in in terms of fandoms, so I don't necessarily have a dog in this fight. <laughs> what I'm curious about is that when Disney acquired Fox and these properties. Did they know about this, or is this something that came out of the blue that perhaps someone did not disclose or got overlooked in the in the mix? Possible, yeah. Because if Party A knew this was coming and sold the rights to Property B without telling them, oh, by the way, the rights holders have said that in uh, you know May of 2021 they're going to attempt to reclaim ownership. Yeah, there, there you have a bit of a problem. So it, it will be very interesting because, like you said, Justin, what is the end game here? What good is holding the rights to these characters if you can't do anything with them? And I don't know if the idea behind it is to simply say, we want to own the rights so we can go studio to studio and cut our own deal, but as you said... That's a complicated path. There are people out there with very valuable film rights that cannot get films made because dealing with film studios and producers can be a very tricky scenario. I mean, you know, if you really stopped and thought about it, you could think about, hey, you know, why hasn't this right been made into a game or TV series? Why hasn't this been? Add to the fact, let's be very honest, the last few Predator films didn't exactly light up the box office. I mean, none of them were exactly box office titans after the first one. And so I do wonder if it's simply a situation to say, hey, you know, we can claim the rights here, or you can give us an extra zero on our, our request here, or you can essentially give us executive producer credits in perpetuity so that we always get a piece of the action on whatever happens going forward, which I think probably might be what ends up happening. There will probably be some money changes hands, and you might see them given producer credits or something like that so they share in the, uh, the, the, you know, the pie going forward. But either way, it will be very interesting to see what happens, if this is something that simmers for a while or if this is something that gets resolved fairly quickly um moving forward speaking of quickly there was news this week 
that Amazon and their effort to uh, really legitimize their new gaming studio hit another snag when their announced Lord of the Rings game uh, has been scrapped. Now, uh, they had a couple other game efforts that uh, were put forth. They did not meet with very good responses. Um, so, Joseph, we'll start with you. Are you shocked by this, and why do you think Amazon is struggling so much in the gaming side of things? You know, after their non-success, I should say, with um, <clears throat> their... I don't know if you'd call it a, a, a looter shooter, but it was more like a 5v5, kind of like Valorant or... Yep, I remember it. <laughs> yeah, what was the name? Of, I, anyways. I played it for about three hours and got bored of it. Oh, she, you made it longer than I did, I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> after the non-success of that, which had a lot of hype going into it, this does not surprise me. What annoys me is that how willing studios are and uh, granted this is an Amazon studio This it's different this is not their forte but just to give up on things these days I think that this could have been a great game and putting an MMO in that world would have attracted a lot of people but it has to be done right and clearly somebody felt that they weren't doing it right but I don't know if the time and money that they put into it justifies a cancellation more than a redirection <clears throat> but at the same time they're an unproven studio and that's a huge undertaking to put out a an MMO even just I mean an MMO in general period and then to do it on a beloved IP so maybe they made the right choice here interesting and uh, Justin your take please yeah, so uh, a couple things. One, one, th one thing is uh, I actually was not aware that they were making a, a uh, Lord of the Rings MMO. I must have missed the announcement for that a little while ago. But um, you know, I just want to kind of echo a little bit what Joseph was saying. Like, I think that uh, Amazon, is, as, as far as games are concerned, I think they're definitely biting, have been biting off more than they can chew. Um, it definitely is a space that um it's fairly obvious that even even longtime players in the video game industry struggle with projects like this and uh amazon game studios is still relatively new and they really went out the gate of trying to do a number of mmos there is a another mmo that uh Amaz was sort of produced by amazon game studios that to my understanding is struggling a little bit um so, I think that obviously, Floor of the Rings is a um, is a huge property. They could definitely make a very uh, cool game, uh, multiplayer game that's set in that universe. It's obviously would do very, very well if, if executed properly. But the problem is that you know they're still very new to this thing. They're they're still very new to making video games or producing video games. Um, to me, it, it reminds me quite a bit of um, uh, the whole Kingdoms of Amalur uh, debacle of uh, you know Kurt Schilling uh, leaving uh, after you know after he had retired. Um, he spent a ton of money and he opened up a game studio. And the very first thing that he wanted to do was make a giant MMO. And it was like, well, 
you know, even even giants in the industry struggle with making MMOs. Um, it just seems like something that you have to build up to. You'd make some smaller games for a few years first, and then once you sort of have uh, some experience and the groundwork and the infrastructure to kind of like build upon that, then you can maybe try to make an MMO. Um, it seems Amazon obviously has the money, but they just don't have the experience. They don't have the experience. They don't have the uh, you know the large amount of studios. It, it probably takes to make this happen. I mean, even the MMO space, even um, outside of just this case, is, has been receding for a very long time. Uh, yeah, people still play World of Warcraft, um, but even that is, you know, year after year, I think there's some dwindling numbers um, in terms of subscribers, and there really aren't many MMOs get launched anymore. It's just, I think the industry sort of moved on from that, uh, from that model. Uh, that said, I do I do still think that Lord of the Rings would would make a great MMO if if done well. But uh, but again, I think Amazon is just not experienced enough to really make this happen. So it doesn't really surprise me too much. Um, and really, if Amazon wants to be successful making video games, they really should start smaller and you know produce uh, some smaller games first um, before they try something like this. The hard thing about it is it's such a volatile industry if you do not uh, get the right breaks. And as someone, I worked at uh, Monolith and Sierra, and I've been involved with other companies along the way, you know, giving them advice along uh, development of various games, big and small. And the problem with it is you hear the old story about too many cooks in the kitchen and that sort of thing. That can happen, and in some cases, it doesn't happen. And case in point, I remember the first game I worked on at Monolith was a um, gauntlet-style game called Get Medieval. And I was there to do be one of the two senior testers on it, figure out things. They had an open policy that you would submit. You could submit ideas. I mean, I submitted ideas for Blood 2, The Chosen, many of which got into the game. Nice collaborative effort. And I remember when the game was coming along, I asked a question. I said, uh, they just said, you know, what do you think? Or is there anything that seems a little odd? And I said, it seems odd to me that all the creatures have red blood. And there was this odd pause. And I'm like, you know, you've got spiders, you've got reptiles, you've got this. Shouldn't some of them have different colored blood? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that would make sense. And my first thought was, wow, you know, how did it get this far in development without somebody thinking about that? And then it came back, well, we can't do anything about it because it's too far in development and we'd have to change over the whole art palette and we're not doing that, move on. And then I also remember my time at Sierra where we had games like Tribes 2 that had all sorts of issues and you had, you know, one group saying this thing's completely unstable, it can't go out. You had the Q&A people saying the same thing. You had developers saying, oh, well, you know, we'll figure it out down the road in patches, we'll figure it out. And then you had the executives saying, over time, over budget, ship it as it is. Now, yeah, there were disastrous ramifications from it. But you can see that there's a lot of moving parts. And when you consider that a lot of these games are put in development two, three years before they come out, 
the industry can change. A game that you didn't even know about can come out and all of a sudden throw your whole work off base by simply being better than anything you had planned. And then I think back to things like Daikatana. You had John Romero coming out of Ed, you know, Doom, Quake, had this new shooter. You had all this talk about, unlike the games being just fancy tech levels, this is going to be really advanced. Delay after delay, Ion Storm had one disaster after another, never went anywhere. And that was a game, that was a studio that had power behind it, it had money behind it, it had industry exposure, and it had high expectations. And when you get back to Amazon, it just goes to show you, having all the money in the world doesn't matter if you don't have a clear direction and if you don't have... Now, we don't know what's going on over there, but a simple look at things is you have to have a producer and the money people and the developers all have to be on the same page. And obviously, to announce the game two years ago and then get into this stage of development and essentially say, yeah, this isn't working, uh, is an example that they were throwing money after money into a game that they finally said, you know what, this isn't going to work. And a big chunk of that could be the failure of the previous games where they simply just said, yeah, this is not a good idea. And it's fascinating because this is what happens with video game companies, large and small. You have games that you have so much money put into, and if you're a publicly traded company, then you have pressure to get it out, get it out, get it out. We've already announced it, get it out, and oh yeah, it better be good. But then there are also others that say, just get it out. And then if you're a smaller company where your game has flown below the radar, you have the advantage of being able to say, you know what, let's scale it back, or we can delay it and move things forward. And it just seems to me that Amazon is unfortunately learning, I think, a hard lesson that either they need to listen more toward feedback that they're getting, regardless of where it's from, and realize just throwing a lot of money at something isn't going to make a good game. I mean, some of the best games we've seen in recent years have been ones with smaller development teams. I mean, look at Dusk, for example. This is a nice retro um first-person shooter, you know, in the harkens back to the days of the 90s shooters. One person, one person, low budget, created one of the better shooters in recent years. So there you have it. The final topic I wanted to bring up today is uh, looking at the box office. We've had a lot of talk about Godzilla versus Kong doing well. How is that going to bode for down the line when we have Mortal Kombat coming out this week? We have next month um, the simultaneous uh, theatrical and video on demand release for Cruella as well as Quiet Place 2 scheduled. Well, now we have word that uh, hot on their latest trailer that was released this week that Fast and Furious 9 is going to open uh, approximately five weeks prior to the United States in China and various non-English-speaking countries overseas. Joseph, do you want to open a comment on that? Um, Good. (laughs) I think that you know, for a movie that was supposed to have been out last year, it's great that they got extra time to work on it. They probably were going to delay it anyways, but it's 
good to see that they're going to put it out early, even if it's not in our market. Um, it's showing signs of confidence in the industry that I think we need to see from some some of these studios. The problem is we can't do too much confidence early on, especially with things starting to take a dip again. Um, I'm just... I mean, it's hard to have a really like strong opinion on this, though, because it's not here. <laughs> yep. Well, it's not uncommon for movies to release overseas now. We've talked a lot about how it used to be back in the day. The box office was what you got out of North America, you know, U.S., Canada as well as Western Europe, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, and anything else you got in there was considered bonus. Well, then you had all these first-run theatrical uh, options open up in China, open up in uh, Eastern Europe, open up in India, open up in, uh, you know, we have places now in the Middle East that are having first-run theaters, and all that factors in. So it becomes now not uncommon for a film to release a week or two ahead of time uh, in certain markets, and there you have it. So it, it is a very interesting picture. Uh, Justin, your take, please. Yeah, it's. Uh, I agree. It, you know, I think um, it does show that uh, the industry is starting to um, feel a little more comfortable about releasing movies. Um, obviously, I think we've talked about this in the past that one of the problems they're going to run into if they hold on to these movies too long is they're just going to be basically sitting on a bunch of finished movies um, and really either one overcrowding certain um, cer certain time slots against each other or or two um, movies are just going to have to be delayed in perpetuity um, you know a lot of these movies have have been done uh, I think you had mentioned earlier that uh, you know, Doctor Strange had, had wrapped up filming, um, but there's not a or very recently wrapped up filming. There's not really a um, a solid release date for that. Uh, eventually, they're going to have to just either bite the bullet and just uh, release it, uh, conditions be what they are, or or two. They're you know they have to be kind of smart about it. Um, you know, Godzilla versus Kong doing well, I think, is is very good for the industry as a whole because it does show that uh, there's enough activity out there that um, that people can uh, you know feel a little bit more comfortable about releasing their movies. Um, that said, though, I mean, even though it did well, you you still look at the numbers and compared to what you would want for a movie of that size. Um, in pre-pandemic time, it's still not there. We're, we're still not quite to the, you know, back to normal, and we probably won't be for a little while. Um, but with streaming services to kind of blunt some of those uh, effects of low box office numbers, I think uh, some some movie companies are probably going to be feel a little more, more comfortable about pushing these movies out. We'll have to kind of see how Mortal Kombat does. Um, but if they, you know, if there's a number, if, if there's a string of movies that do pretty well between the streaming numbers and box office, then, uh, we're probably going to see more movies, uh, be released. Um, because again, the longer they wait, the bigger problem they're going to have going into next year. Yeah, definitely some good points and it'll be interesting to see how it all works out. And that is going to do it. For... Oh, go ahead. 
All I'm saying is if they don't call the next movie Fast 10 your your seatbelts, I'm going to riot. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> and that is going to do it for us this week, folks. Everybody take care. Have a very safe week ahead, and we'll talk to you next week. Until then, take care.